Sunny 16 presents. It's going to blow your mind what I'm about to say. You ready? Mm-hmm. Welcome to episode 20 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting, brought to you by the gang at the Sunny 16 podcast. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And my name is Gabe Sachs. And, and before we go on, I just want to say... 20 years of doing this podcast with you has been absolute. I mean, it feels like such a short amount of time, but 20 years is like, I mean, seriously, think about syndication, think about all the money we're going to make. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the next landmark is like what the Simpsons has been on for 30 years, right? Yeah, That's 10 years ahead of us. Who cares? They got an earlier start. (laughs) No big deal. Whatever. We are Ugh. practically at Simpsons numbers. <laughs> it's here. ridiculous. It's, it's remarkable. Thank you. Remarkable. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Speaking of thank yous, Mr. Gabe Sachs has asked that we lead off with some thank yous. Gabe, what do you I, want to thank I, people I, I for? I got to tell you, I just there's sometimes you just got to thank people. You you reflect on your my adventures in New York, and I sort of you know we talk about it, and I ran into people, and they were they were talking about uh, you know wanted to know more. But I got to tell you. None of it would have been possible without Tej Herring. Tej Herring is this uh. amazing publicist and dear friend. And she made everything possible. She made the Met Gala, the shows, everything I was able to go to was because of her. And I can't thank her enough. And just a couple other people, Brent Eisler with B&H, who offered to help me yep. when I was in a panic and had no memory left on my computer. <laughs> and Chris at B&H for supporting my continued need for all things camera bags. I mean, just he didn't say don't buy it. There was none of that. Yeah. And then lastly, James at Leica Store Soho calmed me down when, again, I was panicked about my images that were coming out of my camera. So those are my thank yous. Thank you all. And I appreciate all of you. Wow. Well said. Well articulated. Oh, wait, wait. You Uh, know what? Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do this. But I guess I have to thank that guy who wanted to kick me out of the coach show. I mean, (laughs) I mean, if you if you think about it, it's like. He was so perfect. He was such a perfect character that I know he's going to come up in a show, and I will use his name. So I'm very excited about that. There you go. That's the best thank you of all. Yeah. Um, What was I going to say? You inspired me. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Yes. We're going to thank our listeners here. I mean, my God. My goodness. It is like some sort of afterburner has been lit. Just in the last several episodes, the amount of just validation and support and just emails. I mean, we're going to talk about this in a second, but like Gabe and I went to a beers and cameras meetup the other night. And when we walked in, we were like Sinatra in Vegas. I mean, like, it was amazing because it was beers and cameras and the dark room. And, and just when you get those two people together, you get those companies together. It's just amazing fun. So much fun. Yeah. And it was Jeff's first. Yes. Well, so we're going to cover that in a sec, but thank you to all the loyal listeners, and thank you, of course, most of all, to our hosts at the Sunny 16 podcast. So thankful. Who have uh, somehow given us a platform uh, based on nothing. It's really phenomenal. So 20, 20 is a big number. Yep. Uh, Thank you to all. I also want to say, just following on what you just said, Guys, you got to go to Gabe's Instagram and look at the shots he has been uploading (laughs) from his week at New York Fashion Week. These are amazing pictures. My God. You are so kind. I mean, it's just every day there is something beautiful. Well, I find it's so funny because I go through them and I go, oh my gosh, I forgot about all of these. Yeah. (laughs) So it's been very fun. 
So we're quickly going to empty the mailbag. This is oh, going to yeah. be another fast-paced show with a lot of topics and a little cherry on top at the end, okay? But to start, we had some nice feedback on our Nikon show. And I'm just going to run through a couple of the emails we got. You know, my style is not to read every syllable, gang. So <laughs> just know I'm paraphrasing your prose, but it's not. It's, a, it's done with love. Yeah. Brian Roberts wrote in, Great episode on Nikon. I agree with all points made about the SLR system. And then he chimed in. He wanted to talk about the F2 as well as point and shoots. He said, a few years ago, I owned all five Fs. Wow. Uh, all five Fs from the F through the F5. And he had all kinds of lenses and all kinds of mounts. He ended up with the F2. S with the DP2 finder with LEDs for the meter. This was his favorite compared to the regular F2. Gabe, wow. reaction. Wow, that is amazing. I mean, you know, I react in two ways. One, I go, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And I go, oh my gosh, all those Fs. Hmm. <laughs> Do I have to yeah. find all those Fs? No, it's really impressive. That's really great. Yeah, and that's the one he liked the best. Yep. He also said that his lens kit includes the 24-2.8, the 35 F2, the 51.4, and the 105 2.5. The latter two, of course, were the ones that we rhapsodized about. Love those. And then he talked about the distinctions between AI, AIS. Guys, that gives me a headache. Um, but it, it's something <laughs> you have to pay attention to when buying these. And then he finally said... In regards to point-and-shoots, he loves the Nikon Action Touch. He mm. said it's as if a Nikonos and an L35AF got drunk in a bar and had a baby. <laughs> he said it is splash-proof, has a flash-on-off switch, can be used as zone focus with a focus knob. Ba -ba -ba. It's got a 35 2.8. Wow. So, guys, that's a good tip. Action Touch had yeah. not heard of that one. I had not heard of that at all. We're going to talk about point-and-shoots maybe a little later in the show, so that's a good mm. one to add to our list. Nick Lyle. We love Nick. Yep. Nick Lyle chimed in to say, I dream of cameras number 19 has caused me to buy a Canon P. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm going to hold mine up for just a second. <laughs> a Canon P. He said, this is not entirely your fault. I was shooting the birthday party of a good friend who just turned 100 the other day. Oh, my hold goodness. Hold the phone. Yep. And realized how important a quiet shutter can be. He also, so he said it would, a, a rangefinder camera like this was ideal for quiet situations, right? Yep. He also said he wanted to boomerang this gas attack back at us by reminding us how special the Zeiss Novar Anastic Mat lens is on his Zeiss Icon Icoflex 1C. Oh my goodness. Is this like the Icoflex you have? Uh, is it? I think I have is the... It? 3C, don't I? Am I? No, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a 1C. I think it is the 1C. Well, he said the 1C has a light meter. He says the Zeiss yep. triplet is magic. He provided a couple of links to shots on his Flickr, which were gorgeous. Yep. So thank you for that feedback, Nick. Geez, I only have my one TLR, so this is an interesting tip. So thank you for that. Me too. Just oh. kidding. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Rolf Tessum wrote in. Rolf is one of my favorite correspondents because every time he writes, he makes me want to cry with the gorgeous <laughs> photography of his gorgeous cameras. He checked in to say, hugely enjoyed the Nikon show. Probably need to do a part, duh, at some yes. point. He is correct about that. Just wondering how Lizotz did on your Pentax 6-7. How'd that go, Gabe? Did they work on your Pentax 6-7, and how did it go? Let me let me let me set it up for you, okay? So, um, <laughs> me and Jeff Greenstein were at a thrift store, <laughs> and yes. I get 
a, a little ding on my phone that says your status has been updated on Lazat's camera repair. And I'm so excited because they're amazing and just they know the cameras, they know the Pentax 6-7 system. And so immediately call and Jeff comes over and we're very excited. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I've waited five weeks. I think it's going to be ready. I think they're going to send it. And uh, I talked to him and he's, he says, look, you know what? This is not going to be a great call. <laughs> and I'm going, oh. oh no. So the clutch in that advanced system has gone down. And the cost of replacing that and mining it from another camera would be more than me buying another body. <sighs> and that was the sadness that we suffered at that thrift store. And it was it was not a great situation, but they were great. I was sad that it took so long to find bad <laughs> find out bad news. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a big bummer. And now, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I sadly will not open the box. They sent it back to me, and I refuse to open it. I refuse to oh, even look yeah, at it. Yeah, I understand. And no, I understand. So, I just I'm angry at it. It's sitting behind me. Yeah, so, you don't uh, want the stench of failure in your house. <laughs> exactly. Why open that box? Why? Oh, that's going to stay right there. So. Hopefully, I will find another one because I love the lens and I love that wood handle, you know, which is so important yeah. to take pictures. The wooden with. grip is very important. Yes. And then, uh, but that's it. So it was sad news, but they are great. And I was thankful for their honesty. And uh, we move on. All right. On we go. He also said, Rolf also said, you guys aren't kidding about the prices that Leica film bodies are getting. He said, uh, if he ever added another one, it would be the M2R. Oh, this is one of those Exotica at the moment. He says, as you may be aware, these came from an army contract with Leica that was canceled after production and either partially or fully occurred. It's a regular M2 with M4 loading. I've never seen this. I've never seen this. Never seen one either. He said, when the army contract was canceled, Leica sold them to the general public until supply was exhausted. It coexisted with the M4 while it was being sold around 1972 or so. was a little less expensive. A new F4. Never heard of this, Rolf. He said, he checked on eBay. These things are going for four dollars to $5,000. Oh, boy. Which sends me smartly back to my Canon P. How about that? <laughs> he also sent a picture, one of his trademark luscious photographs of his Bronica 645. Do you know this camera, Gabe? Yes, I do. I do not have it, but yes, I know it. He says it, it handles like a slightly large Leica. Who does this wow. look cool? Really cool. So thank you for that, Rolf. And then we got another follow-up from him on other 4x5 cameras following on his mention of the speed graphic. I'm not going to go through all the details, but Oh, there's a picture of a Graflex Super D with a little nameplate on it that says Rolf Tessum. What the heck? Oh, my God. This it's insane. I mean, I'm afraid of these cameras in general, uh, but my God. Excellent. Amazing. Scott Olson. Scott Olson wrote in. I'm going to read this because this was so gratifying. Did you see this email, Gabe? Yes, I did. Yep. Scott from Brooklyn, New York wrote. I wanted to send a quick email to say I've been enjoying the podcast immensely. For years, I've been a film photography podcast guy. Hey, that's the one that inspired me, man. And I've listened to every one of their episodes and found myself laughing out loud many times and learning quite a bit along the way. That podcast hasn't been the same since the pandemic, yet we miss them like crazy. And I've been searching for something that can come close to replacing it in some way. I'm kind of a camera geek, and when I'm driving by myself, especially to and from work, I enjoy listening to podcasts about cameras. There are a couple out there that are interesting, but they're 
rather dry and too factual. We do not let facts we are happen de- in show. We are definitely not factual in any right. regard. <laughs> I really enjoy the camaraderie between you two, and I get the sense that I'm just sitting down and I'm in the middle of a conversation with two guys who just really have a love for cameras. I'm mostly done with buying stuff, so I don't crave the details on specifications and things like that, but I do enjoy hearing them. I'm enjoying the collection I have now and shooting as often as I can. I shoot small, medium, and large format. Good man. I shoot and develop my own color. Good man. And black and white film and bulk load. I enjoy the talk about the past experiences with the cameras and the things you like. Just wanted to send a quick note and say you guys are my go-to podcast. Hope you can keep it up. I hope you can also keep finding things to talk about. We're working on it. This final (laughs) paragraph really spoke to me. He said, I'm 51 and I remember film from when I was growing up. The cameras themselves did not mean much to me back when I was little because we didn't shoot anything fancy, but I did shoot quite a bit of film because that's all there was. It was six years ago I got back into film after meeting a retired police crime scene photographer who saw me outside working with my Sony Digital. He convinced me to go to his friend Chris at B&H and get a film camera and try to develop myself. Well, I went and I did. That's the end of the story. I was rediscovering something from my past and realizing just how many completely amazing film cameras are out there I never knew about. This is our story as well. We love it. At least it was a few years ago, so the prices were not insane like they are today, and I bought most of what I have now quite some time ago. Digital is easy, but it doesn't give me the enjoyment that film does. There's the nostalgia, too, from looking at my childhood film photos. It's a process that I just enjoy from beginning to end. I love mixing the chemicals, pulling out the negatives, having to figure out how to do things on my own. I also got into wet plate collodion. This guy is my goodness. advanced math. I met Jeffrey Berliner at a film photo event, and he got me into some classes on wet plate at the Penumbra Foundation in Manhattan. He's also been a big resource to me and a mentor. I didn't mean for this to be a huge email. I just wanted to give a thank you note to both of you and say I'm really enjoying this show. Scott Olson. Thank Boy, you, Scott. I mean, that just, thank you, Scott. I mean, that just spoke to me on every level because it really is, I think, what, you know, what got Gabe and I back into this hobby and just speaks to exactly why we are excited and passionate about this stuff. Exactly. This is true. Tom Northenskold said... Great Nikon episode. As a longtime Nikon shooter, I love the recent episode. You asked at the end if there were any cameras we should have mentioned. I'd like to offer up the Nikon F3, the sexiest camera ever made. Go ahead, fight me on this. Yeah, it's a the tough F3 one. The F3 is rock solid and has the best shutter feel and sound of any camera I've shot. The film advance lever is an engineering marvel. If you guys don't own one, well, you really ought to. And he sent a picture, Gabe Sachs. Have you used an F3? You know what? I have skipped the F3, although I am very (laughs) jealous of that F3. Uh, I have used the F4, and again, I told you whenever I'm in a boat, I bring it with me, and we will (laughs) stop on a dime. That works every time. I just throw it over, and it works. And I pull it out of the water, it still works. It's all good. Yeah. This F3 is nice looking, I must say. I don't even have an F2. So this is hard for me to speak to, but it is as sure a sexy-looking camera that he has in black with some nice brassing around the rewind. Oh, so my God, Tom, that is nice. Finally, a short email from Alan Perez. He said, speaking of future podcasts, have you ever covered stereo photography? I don't do that thing. We did see a stereo attachment for a Polaroid oh, at the so same cool. thrift store where we got, the bad, got news. the bad news. And I looked at this thing and I got very excited because I thought, are you telling me that I can shoot Polaroid stereo photographs with my automatic 250? The answer is no. 
This was an <laughs> adapter for a Polaroid 95, the old roll film Polaroids. And, ah. Sad. So I won't do stereo unless it's convenient is the answer. Right. <laughs> so, but maybe we talk about this down the line if we find a stereo junkie because I haven't really done it. Yeah. That concludes the mailbag. Thank you for writing in, folks. As always, you can find us at idreamofcameras at gmail.com. Thank you for that. Let's return to the beers and cameras of it all. Gabe. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Give us a little recap of that event so, the other night. Okay. So, beers and cameras and the darkroom had like three days of events. There was camera walks and there was uh, the first night it was at the Arts District Brewing Company and it was just... You walk in there and you just feel like, these are my people. I mean, everyone, you just look for people who have cameras. You go up to them. You immediately have friends and you're talking to them. And it's the greatest thing ever. And you're waiting for others and stuff like that. And, you know, Phil from the darkroom and Trev Lee from the darkroom. And they all, you know, were there. And Juan from Beers and Cameras. And it was just such a great group of people. And I met a ton of new people and a ton of great photographers. And everyone has so many different cameras there. And... It's it's so much fun, and you it's it's an immediate icebreaker. You're always talking about cameras, yeah. so you know you're not you know figuring out what to say or anything like that. So it, that was that was amazing. And then I got Mr. Jeff Greenstein to come to the next event at Paperback Brewing, which is in Glendale, and it was just spectacular. Everyone was there, and it was just you know there were more people. There were people that weren't there the other night, and it was just so much fun and. And Jeff made the rounds, and and it was so much fun. You really did. It was like a really good bar mitzvah. I had never been to an event like this. Uh, I think I had mentioned on a prior podcast, I went to a Richard Photo Lab photo walk. God, this must have been like six years ago, seven years ago, which was nice. Very big. It was like 100 people. So it was, you know, a lot of people. I was impressed, as you said I would be, by the incredible friendliness and no snobbery. None. No snobbery, no sourness. Everyone was just excited to like have somebody to talk to, excited to learn, excited to compare notes and look at the gear, talk about like, I, you know, wait, I'll give you an example. Okay, so Juan had his Leica SL. Oh, oh God. Now, we don't talk a lot of digital in this podcast, but my God. Gabe had said to me that he was looking into the Leica SL. Because of Juan. I've seen, I've seen yeah, because of Juan. I had seen pictures of this thing and thought, I don't need that thing in my life. What do I need that for? Yeah. It's a big hulking digital monstrosity. It's not a big hulking digital monstrosity. It actually is more compact and thinner yeah. than it appears in the photographs. And of course, you can use all your sexy like a glass on this thing. I came away having handled this thing and shot with it going, damn, maybe. Yeah, pretty this, great. Oh, Maybe yeah. this needs to be in my life. And that happened time and again. I would see some machine that I had only seen in a photograph or read about in a book. I saw a Graflex like unfolded and ready for action. Like yeah. I'd never seen one before. And people talking about the way they shoot, it was just great. You know, we're all starved mm -hmm. for social interaction, but this particular mode was so great. And you know, I think in general, I mean, this is a gross generalization I've made before. I think photographers tend to tilt introverted. Yes. But for some reason, this kind of a gathering just unlocks it. 
yep. so that you feel comfortable. You already feel like you're inside the fence and you could talk to everybody. And it was just, boy, I just, yeah, I made the rounds. I talked to so many people whose work I had seen and enjoyed. Yeah. So many podcasters and YouTubers and and Instagram photographers. I met Jason from Grainy Days, who I idolized. So funny. He, he taught me to put the camera strap <laughs> on top of my head, uh, which is now that's the hottest trend, guys. Please well, your try arms, that. Your arms are free. It makes total your sense. Your arms are free. It makes yeah. total sense. Yep. It was great. And I will say, I mean, <laughs> I brought the Alpa 11 Si. Oh, yeah. Thinking, all right, well, this is my weirdo camera. I'll bring the Alpa just so I... Everyone wanted to see this thing. It was, I mean, I just underestimated, I guess, yeah. what a strange anomaly this is. Could you share and how many were made? Can you please share that information? 287. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy there were 287 rare. in chrome and I think three something in black. So most people, like me, when I came across this camera at a shop near the British Museum in London, most people had never seen one in person, much less like handled it, played with the crazy parallelogram rewind knob, <laughs> focused it, seen the like sexy depth of field scale on the Kern lens. So I was like so happy to like pass this thing around and get people excited about it. That was cool too. So much it fun. It was just great. I tend to be shy. And so sometimes I see these things and I, and I hesitate because I think it's going to be, you know, my social anxiety will take hold, but it was quite the opposite. So thanks to Juan, who like makes these amazing events happen yeah. and everybody who came, my God. And gobble. Phil and Trev and everyone oh, at the yes. dark room. I mean, you guys, what a what a duo. I mean, those two groups are just, it's just amazing. And it's so fun. Like seriously, you know, if you take it back and you go, you know, you send your film to labs, you know, all over the world and on and on. But to see the people that are actually responsible for your film, and it's such a warm feeling, and I just couldn't be happier to send the darkroom my film. I just couldn't. I just, I love yeah. it. I love knowing the people there. I love how they care about film, and they care about the film community. It's just spectacular. Absolutely true. I so enjoyed meeting and talking to Trev and hearing about, I mean, I visited the darkroom in San Clemente about six years ago when they had the Film Photography Podcast meet up there. They have doubled in size since then. Uh, which is so exciting to hear that the hobby is fueling yep. the growth of this amazing business. And exactly what Gabe said, they care intensely about doing it right and doing right by their customers. And I feel so lucky to have that lab basically at our doorstep. They're yep. amazing. And so they put on a hell of an event. So thanks to everybody at the darkroom as well for making that happen. So fun. And by the way, Paperback Brewing? Oh, I'm going wow. back there. Yeah, that was fun. What a good place. Yep. Everyone who worked there was so nice. So thank you. Speaking of events, one of the things Gabe mentioned that we should talk about is how sorely we miss that Pasadena camera show. Ugh, I mean, the SoCal painful. camera show is quite great, and we love the guys who are making that happen. But Gabe, what a... Huh. I mean, I used to count the days. I'm not kidding. Same. I would count the days, and I would get up early, and I would make sure I was in line very, you know, very, very early. And, you know, I was raring to go. Like, I couldn't wait to get in there. It seemed like hours, even though it was going to open in three minutes. I'd be, like, waiting in that line, so excited to get through that door and just see what everyone had and seeing other friends who were interested in cameras. And you, there would always be a surprise there. And, you know, people who knew a lot about, you know, what they had. It, it was just, it was such an event. I was so used to it. And I took it for granted because I was just there all Same. the time. 
Yeah, in advance of recording tonight, I was looking over my camera shelf and with my 45 cameras on it, half of them are from that camera show. Definitely, yeah. And I would say of the other half, half of that half was cameras I first became interested in because right. I saw them at the camera show and got intrigued and started looking for an example in black when it was chrome or vice versa. It just, there is no substitute for actually handling the thing, like seeing it in person. What's the weight? What's the feel of the focus knob? What's the feel of the advance lever? It just, I don't know. We don't get that opportunity very much. No, and often people would go there, and sometimes dealers aren't interested or they can't pay what someone wants for a camera, but it's still less than it would be somewhere else, And but you get to see it in person. and. Many times, you know, I'd be leaving and, and someone couldn't sell their lens and I would buy their lens from them. Yeah. You know, it was, it, yeah. I, I love that and also met them and saw their photography. And it just, there was a whole, you know, to see so many people with that passion for photography was is just such an amazing thing. And I miss it. Yeah. I wish there were a way to reconstitute it further by getting the list of vendors even. Right. Right. And giving it to the gang that runs the SoCal camera show that at least so they could have more tables, more people. It it's just, so great. Yeah, I really miss it. And I, I took it for granted, too. I even used to go to remember how they used to have two a month. Yeah. They would have one in Pasadena and one in Buena Park. Right. Oh, Buena Park. I go to sorry. both of them. Yeah. And the way in which Gabe and I have been coping with this is Gabe has been taking me to basically every thrift store. Right. in Orange County. And we, we have a couple of thrift stores we like, but here's something weird, and we want to kind of get y'all's reaction to this across this great land of ours. Where are the film cameras? It's amazing. I, I It's so hard to find them now. And I don't know if it's that they're picked over or just not there. I just can't figure it out. It's just... It's it's crazy, but there there we have been to so many thrift stores yes. and very, very, very few film cameras. No, I've seen a couple of interesting digital cameras. Yeah. You know, but uh, boy, other than the occasional Polaroid pack film camera or the occasional really crap point and shoot, nothing turns up. Sometimes, listen, I don't, I'm not a collector of box cameras. Yeah. You know, you can always find like an old box camera. Sometimes it used to be the Argus C3 was everywhere. You can't even find an Argus C3 now. No. You see old box cameras, old brownies, those kind of things. And if I were into it, then I would be into it. But um but if even if you're looking like, wow, can I get one of these Nikon, you know, one touches or, you know, a Pentax SBO oh, yeah. or something like right. they're not there. No, it's true. It, if and yeah, it feels like they've been emptied out. And again, there's no substitute for actually handling the stuff in person. Yeah. I see on Facebook, on the Facebook camera groups, people saying, Oh, I found five Alpa lenses and I paid thirty bucks a piece. What? I know. I just that is not happening to me. I don't no. have any of these like thrift store finds. No. Mm. I think maybe what we do is uh, you come over to my house. Yes. I'm going to set up a table. <laughs> You're going to pretend you don't know me. And you just you just pick out cameras and it'll be amazing. Just pick out some cameras. As if you're shopping. As if yeah. you're shopping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? That's a convenient entree too. Hmm. I think a lot of people, when we did our Marie Nikondo episode a while <laughs> oh, back. Oh boy, yeah. We're skeptical about whether Gabe would actually unload. Oh, the I cameras. heard people were writing you behind my back. People yeah. were checking in on, on on whether I was living up to that. Some people were cynical. Yeah. Some people don't believe. Mm -mm. You know, Tinkerbell, what was it? Isn't that how <laughs> Tinkerbell brought Peter Pan back to life or something? You yes, with believe? the camera, actually. That's what I remember. <laughs> 
I think it was with a Leica 3. Yes. <laughs> Gabe, I want you to talk about some videos that you posted on the I Dream of Cameras Instagram recently that made clear that the doubters were wrong. Okay, so what episode was that? Do we remember the number of the episode? Whatever it was, it was not last week. No, it, it was, was not. Let me just check back. The Marie Nikondo episode, that's going back quite a bit. It was episode 13, The Purge, Okay, so June. how long ago? Oh, no, it's June. June. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what I said then is uh, June, I was immediately getting to it and going to sell these cameras and get to it. So, of course, that didn't happen. So I think a couple weeks ago, I posted the videos of the cameras that I am going to part with. That was the first step. That was a big step. And yeah. now I am ready. And now now I am ready. There, behind me, as Jeff pointed out, there is a Leica 3C with a Subitar lens <gasps> collapsible, which I am going to part with. There is a Bronica SQA and a yeah. SQAI I'm going to part with, with backs. Look at and, him couple lenses and things like that there is a nikon f2 there there is a nikon fm i believe as i'm looking over there and there are a few more let's just say Uh, mamiya c220 i believe uh yes there is a mamiya c220 and then there is also a um what is that crazy thing hold on this is very important (laughs) everyone hang on to their boots because uh you know the alpa you know, there were Leicas, but do you know the Kony Omega Rapid M? Oh, geez. <laughs> what? You're going to get rid of that. I know. It's funny. Wow. People usually stop when they're parked on a hill and use that to sort of keep their yeah. car from rolling down the hill. Boy, but, but I am going to part is... with it. It's a cool camera. It is a cool. It produces great pictures, but yeah, that's another one. So I'm actually going to do some stuff. And trades are oh i'm open to trades and on and on the truth is i am trying to get that sl the original yeah. the sl one and I, i'm going to sell it all and try to get it i'm excited i mean look what he's doing look guys look See, what gabe's doing i've grown everyone grows i've grown it's part, yeah and yeah. listen you know i i pulled out the wide lux the other day and went out and shot with it and just fell in love with that baby all over again it is important to use your cameras yeah i am not a believer in shelf queens Okay, no. I try to shoot with everything I've got. We talked about in that episode, The Purge, about the 22-year-old graduate student at UT Austin who saw the Vivian Meyer documentary and is just dying to get a TLR. Yep. Her name is... Did I give her a name back then? <laughs> this is an imaginary character that yes, I've thought of. Yes. Don't hoard your cameras. If you're not using them, release them into the bloodstream. That's not true. Or if they're broken, get them fixed. Because I will tell you this. I, I will tell you this, that... I had this Sumalux for many, many years. I've talked about it. Didn't use it because it had some problems, had some scratch. I thought were scratches inside and I thought had some fogging, which it did. I went down and got it fixed. It was ready in a week and it is like new. In fact, the last picture I just posted is uh, of Liliana Ray and it's, it's, I love it. I love this lens and I broke out that monochrome. I love it. I had the prism in my M1 replaced i found a replacement prism here's the old one which is fun it's my new fidget spinner yep it makes you fall in love with the camera or the lens all over again you know you realize you've made these certain accommodations for a stiff focusing lever or crap in the viewfinder or whatever 
when you get it fixed, you fall in love with it again. It's worth the investment, and it is going to be cheaper than buying that new one. And sometimes these things are not crazy expensive, just like you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's just you can get a camera fixed. So you, you find the right person. There's so many people in the community that will be happy to help you find that right person for your camera. It's great. Yes. So Gabe is growing as a person, which we just never thought would happen. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's true. Gabe, do you have any new acquisitions <laughs> since we last spoke with our faithful listeners? Anything new that you've acquired? Uh, well, it's okay if the answer is no. I, I, you know what? I, I really, what, ha- what happens is I will say no, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, this one. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I have been doing is I have been experimenting with Flash and the Leica. So oh, I have yeah. been get I have been getting some pieces for that, and so that's I'm sort of and this all arose stuff. out of shooting Flash in New York, right? It all arose out of shooting Flash in New York and and figuring out if I could control that light. I mean, the Flash that I was doing at those parties was perfect; like it was bright and neat. It was it worked and and things like that. But now figuring out if I can control it and on and on. I'm supposed to go back to New York in a couple of weeks, so let's see what happens. Cool. Cool. Well, my only acquisition, and I think I might have alluded to this being en route in our last episode, is the 50 millimeter 1.4 Canon Beautiful. screw mount, which is now permanently affixed to my Canon P. I shot a roll and I just developed it, and this is a lovely lens, gang. Lovely. And if you're looking for a 50 for your Leica, or you're looking for a 50 for your screw mount, something or other, this is tasty. I like it so much. It reminds me, it's handling is very much like an Olympus Pen F lens. As a matter of fact, this little collar. Oh, wow. Doesn't that look exactly yeah. like the Pen F, the little chrome collar uh, for the aperture is is exactly like it. The only thing I don't like about it is it has infinity lock, which is like, why? I just don't understand infinity lock on these old lenses. But if you learn to avoid the infinity lock, it's wonderful. It handles like a dream. I love it. So that. That's and awesome. And I think I'm full up for a while. That's what I always say. <laughs> Here is something hmm. that I shared with Gabe. And I never want to say that I am turning away from some aspect of the hobby that has provided aesthetic satisfaction in the past. But guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not doing color processing anymore. Wow. Now, I said several episodes back, do not be afraid of color processing. And yes, you should you not. Yes, you did. Don't be afraid of color processing. It's all about nailing the temperature. Uh, Don't be afraid. You can do it, okay? I have found that over time, I'm doing it more and more sparingly, and I will tell you why. It is primarily because the combination of having to nail the temperature, which I can handle, but the work that scanning color negatives requires, getting a an adequate image out of a color negative is a lot of work. It's so slow. And I have started to think that those hours that I spend on a 36 exposure roll, I just don't know if it's worth it to me because I don't trust my own eye in terms of getting a satisfactory image. And so maybe my right answer is to send that film out to the darkroom and just bite the bullet. I don't want to discourage you guys. Okay, there are probably people out there who have better eyes than me and are better with Photoshop and Lightroom than I am or have found some software solution that works for them. But 
I have really slacked off. And I realize now it's probably been like a month or two right. since I processed yeah. a color roll. And my chemicals are probably bad now. Can't just let them sit. Right. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I look, I feel the same way. I mean, I look, I did it so long ago. And so mm. every time I think I'm going to do it, I, I don't. And it just to me is easier to send it off to the dark room. Yeah. I think yeah. that um, I love doing black and white. I think I sort of have a handle on that. That brings me joy, as Rina Kondo yes. tells me. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, color, I'm just, I, you know, I mean, there's so many great people who do it out there and they really are like, they know what they're doing and they produce amazing, you know, stuff, but it's just not my thing. The one thing I've been wondering about that might get me to back off this is I am not a slide photographer at all. But maybe the thing to do is to try E6 processing. Oh, that'd be because interesting. Because then if I get a slide, then I've got a reversed image, right? Right. You know, I've got color reversal film. And so maybe that image will be more satisfactory. So that's what I'm going to flirt with. I know that... The all through a lens guys sell their own E6 kit. I'm just going to look into this. This might be the thing that gets me back into it. Are That's you saying the there's a slideshow coming up in your living room soon? It could happen. I it, just, on the side of my house. I miss oh this. I miss that kachunk kachunk kachunk. Oh, I yes. love it. Yeah, love it. I might show slides on the side of my house. Okay, <laughs> next topic. This is going to sound weird, but I just I put it on the list. So the other night. We have terrible wildfires here in California. Terrible, yeah, terrible. wildfires. And uh, so as a result, there was a time last week where L.A. was just bathed in smoke. Yep. The fact is the way that the L.A. basin is constructed is that it traps moisture, it traps fog, it traps smoke. That's why we have smog here. Part of it is the geography of the L.A., San Gabriel, Santa Monica Mountains basin. So smoke comes over the hills from the north and it sits there. Yeah. We had a red sunset. Were you out to see this? Was this true in your neighborhood? You're closer to the ocean yep. than I am. Yep, beautiful. But we had a red sun, which was like a little red ball in the sky, and it was so wild looking. Yep. And when you take a picture of this with your phone, of course, your phone corrects the color and it don't look right. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a color shot of this. So I took a couple of color shots with the nearest camera that was loaded with color film. But then I thought, ha-ha, I have three shots in my SX-70. Oh, boy. I'm going to take a few shots. And you know what else I have, which is a rare accessory? I have the telephoto attachment for the oh SX-70. Have you ever seen it? I have never it seen that. gorgeous hunk of glass wow. that's the size of an ice cube. And there's a little clip-on thing, so you can clip to the front. So I was like, perfecto. I'm going to put the telephoto thing on, and I'm going to photograph this red sunset. I took two shots. I'm going to hold them up. Do you see anything missing from these shots? <laughs> um, yeah, that uh, the big part you're supposed to see, that red the part. The sun. Yeah, that the part. The sun. Yeah. Here's my complaint, folks. And you know, I am not a negative person. As I like to say, I'm a positive person. Right. Okay? SX-70 film is not sharp. No. And it's, I was thinking about this because I saw some shots that somebody posted. I think it was on Instagram that were taken with expired time zero film. And it was razor sharp. Yeah. And this was my attempt. You know, we did our Polaroid show early on and I complained about the stock and I got a lot of pushback from people saying, have you bought the latest 
color SX-70 film because they've made it better. No, gang, they haven't really made it better. I mean, if you're looking for an impressionistic look, this is (laughs) quite impressionistic. But if you're looking to document a rare red sun... You need to put this is those. not They're the answer. So funny. Yeah, yep. I know it's absurd. It's blank. Yep. I mean, I, yes, I will scan and post these, and you guys will see what I'm talking about. It's a heartbreaker, and it's not that my exposure is wrong. You guys are going to say, "Oh, it's overexposed." That's not what it is. Well, the okay? other funny thing is that we were at a store, and uh, <laughs> and just to show you how angry Jeff is about this, <laughs> he pointed this out to the salesperson. <laughs> he said, "Oh God!" He, he looked at that film and goes, "You know, it's not sharp." Thank you, right? Too. As if she was I responsible did. for manufacturing the film. So, oh my it was God, I'm so, such a bad person. It was I tried so to funny. engage this poor person who just wants to... Oh, oh God. It's All right, sharp. speaking of how I'm a pain, should we do this? Should we do this sure, Vivian Meyer thing? Should oh, we do boy. This? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me just start by saying I love Matt Murray. I love him. I love Matt Loves Cameras. We have been a guest on the show. I love his voice. I love his storytelling style. He is a force for good in the world. Right. Everyone agrees with us. Yes. And he has also name-checked us on his podcast, even when we're not there, and said nice things about us. (laughs) Yes, So I just want to echo that. And this, what I'm about to say, please, (laughs) in no way is this meant to seem like I am in any way critical. I love this guy. No, he's great. He's been great. But he took off of a remark that I made to start a little debate on his podcast with some of his guests. There's an episode called Matt's Love Cameras <laughs> because he has like five guys named Matt. I mean, it was so brilliant, funny. actually. Five photography experts named Matt. So I had said in one of our prior Fight Us episodes, okay, so I was courting pushback, yes. even by saying this, that I love Vivian Meyer. I think Vivian Meyer's work is really interesting. <laughs> I have some questions about Vivian Meyer because she took, I have since learned, between 100 and 150,000 photos, many of which went undeveloped. And of course, she never published work during her lifetime. There's very little known about her life. We are starting to unearth more about her life, but we don't know much about her as a photographer because she did not in any way curate that work. And so, and I and I corresponded with Matt about this just to sort of clarify what I was talking about because the way it played on that podcast was as if I was saying because she didn't give lectures about her work, then she doesn't <laughs> count. And it's like, no, that's not what I meant. What I mean is that what we have seen of Vivian Meyer's work was carefully selected from those 100,000 negatives by people with a vested interest in positioning Vivian Meyer as a great photographer. Now, I'm not saying the images are not great. No, I know. But she didn't select them. Right. She didn't select them. Were those the hundred that Vivian would have chosen? We don't know this. So it is very hard to get a handle. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying it's very hard to get a handle on what I would term her artistic identity. Who is she? Right. What did she mean for us to see? What was her intention? Now, intentionality is slippery, okay? We're not supposed to factor that in. We're supposed to judge the work as the work. But when the work is curated 60, 70 years later by white guys with an interest in making her seem like she's the American Cartier-Bresson, I get squirrely. Hmm. And I ask questions about it. 
That's it. Now, I want you to react, and then I want to tell you what another friend of mine said. Thoughts? Okay, yes. So there's a couple things. Uh, one thing at the end of that document, or towards the end of that documentary, which I felt was very interesting, was the fact that she did call that friend of hers when she was younger to ask about being having a partnership with him and being able to print her photographs, which is very interesting. My feeling is I would love to have, you know, 20 of the top curators from all walks of life curate and see what they would come up with out of yeah, the work. Interesting. And I think yeah. that to me would be the most amazing exhibit ever. And just seeing it through the eyes of other people. I mean, yes, it's always going to be curated. It will never be Vivian Meyer. But I think to me that feels a little closer to probably what we'd get. And she, you know, she knew she had an eye. There's no yeah. question that you're not calling someone to go in partnership with you to print some prints and get them out there unless you feel that there is definitely sure. something there. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate the fact that her work has inspired people like that fictitious 22-year-old graduate student at UT Austin to yep. pick up film cameras and Roloflexes and shoot. Wonderful. I mean, that's wonderful and exciting. So, yeah. But the other thing, though, is even the idea of these photographs first came to light in 2007. By the way, I didn't know this. She did not die until 2009. Yep. So this work actually changed hands while she was still alive, which is kind of heartbreaking if you think about it. Yep. We now look at her photography through, forgive me for the use of this metaphor, through the lens of 2020, 2021. The values that we would assign to a photograph are based on a 2021 POV. Right. So once again, it's flawed. But this is, I, now I ran this all past another friend of mine who said, dude, same thing's true of Van Gogh. Same thing's true of Seurat. These are artists whose work was primarily discovered after they died by curators who chose to elevate it, show it. There are countless oh, examples yeah. of people in the non photographic realms who make art, musicians. Yep. Whose work is discovered much later. I think there's a difference when there's a hundred thousand images. Van Gogh painted a few hundred paintings, but still the profile of the artist that we know as Van Gogh was constructed by other people. Definitely. Yeah. So it's all very confusing. Yeah. Is I guess what it I'm is. Saying. I guess that's that's the roundup. Yep. Yeah, and I am probably wrong. I mean, it's very likely that I'm wrong. So I am happy for the pushback, and I'm also happy for this debate. That's the other thing I wanted to say. The debate that broke out on uh, Matt Love's campus was really interesting. And that's what's cool to me, is thinking about authorship, thinking about intentionality, and thinking about these questions of what is what art is. Is art the work itself, or is it invariably connected to ideas like context, intention, the times, the trends. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yep. That was my, <laughs> I'm ready for more pushback now. <laughs> Speaking of which, the other day, was this yesterday, Gabe? Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, we're all down. Was down. Was down. People how, were refreshing, how long did refreshing. It take you, yeah. How long did it take you to notice they were down? <laughs> 
Well, I think the 625th time that I kept running my finger down and said couldn't refresh the feed, it yeah. finally hit me that maybe it just wasn't me. Maybe it was <laughs> maybe it was a few other people. And then of course I went on and looked that uh that 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 it went down and that they're trying to figure it out and uh right. yeah, it's crazy. I went to some other social media site, Twitter. Oh yeah. And it was on to try and figure out what was happening. This leads me to the question of whether social media is net positive or net negative in your life. And I guess because we're a photography podcast, I'm going to talk specifically about photography rather than the wider world. But feel free to extend it to the wider world if you wish. Right. What do you What do you think? Okay. So this goes through a lot of things. I, I mean, I just I, I, there's so many things. So you know, let's let's start with photography. Okay. You want to put your stuff out there. And you want people to enjoy it. And you, you, it's, it's the best thing ever. You're getting feedback. Some people like your stuff. Some people don't like your stuff. But some people go, oh, that reminds me of this. But the best thing for me is that people with other cameras, it just starts a conversation. So people will say, oh, what'd you shoot that with? And I'll tell them. I'm so excited to tell them. Then we start talking about the cameras. And we talk about their cameras. And it goes, like, that's what I love about it. Okay? But... The chasing likes and the chasing yeah. followers and the stuff like that, and then people selling followers and like it's that part of it becomes something else to me. You know, it becomes a very strange sort of thing. So I don't know. I really wrestle with this question, and I'm not joking when I say that I am actually working on at this moment. <laughs> An extended monologue, which I may perform before year's end. Oh, I'm very excited. Which is about the internet. <gasps> uh, that's all I'm going to say okay. about that. But I've given a lot of thought to this, and I am not one of your nation's deep thinkers about these issues. I'm really not. I'm just a TV writer. <laughs> but <laughs> I am aware of how my relationship to photography in some ways, it has amplified my interest. It has definitely enabled me to connect with other artists whose work I really enjoy and people who have become sincerely friends as a result of this. Right. And that's all so damn good. That is nothing but positive. And I actually, it's very interesting. You know, out on Twitter, I'm Jeff the TV writer, you know, and there was a time for many years where I used Twitter to sort of do joke push-ups Right. You know, I would like stay sharp by working out my joke muscles on Twitter and people who wanted to talk about friends or Will and Grace or Desperate Housewives. I was very available to them on Twitter to talk about these things. Right. And so I sort of had a public profile as that guy. Right. Which may or may not have been good for me. Okay. But so be it. That's what happened. On Instagram, I'm mostly a photographer. <laughs> 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 and I really, it says in my bio shows I've worked on, but honestly, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that or or exhibiting stuff from those days or anything. It's just pictures I've taken recently and the occasional thing that's funny. And maybe once in a while, you know, I came across a photograph of me directing Marsha Cross in a Desperate Housewives episode and I posted because I liked the picture. But mostly it's just about photography and I kind of like that because it yeah. is one little slice of my life and I like that. I like that. But it was interesting. I was looking over your Instagram, and it is so beautiful, like an art book. Oh, so kind. And then I was looking at the chaos that is mine, and <laughs> I was thinking, maybe I'm just not doing 
really oh, good no, job stop. of presenting. I mean, I know, listen, I think you're an exquisite portrait photographer, so it's just so nice to scroll back and back and back, and oh my God, the just incredible wealth <laughs> right? of great work. But mine is chaotic, and I don't know exactly what it says about me because I do not chase likes. Yeah, I am really not thinking about anything, but here's something from my latest roll of film. Something neat that happened. You know, when I started shooting the Wide Lux, it was so exciting to find ways to post those panoramas and stuff. Or here's some new film stock or some new processing thing that I've tried or a new camera that I've tried. So I like to think it's net positive, but we'd like to hear from you guys. Yeah, and we look, we love the iDream of cameras. I mean, we get to put all kinds of fun stuff up there and it's all camera addiction stuff. So we're happy about that. It definitely has fueled the desire to make more images, and that's right. a good thing. Definitely, definitely. It gets me out and shooting. You know, we like to post on I Dream of Cameras reportage about the new cameras we've got, the new gear we're <laughs> trying, the things we like. But yeah, we're just sort of interested in how that affects us. You know, yeah. William Gibson, who was a writer I really love, he probably is best known for his novel Neuromancer and for coining the term cyberpunk. For a while, he was selling a T-shirt on his website that said, I miss my pre-internet brain. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Kind of Think about that, yeah. And, yeah. of course, Gabe and I are of the generation that can remember a pre-internet brain. Oh, yes. I can like remember even of, more. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the kind of attention that you could muster right. in the days before the internet, and also the fact of being disconnected. Which was yeah. a very nice thing to be able to do sometimes. Yep. This will all be in my monologue. It's not a TED talk, <laughs> but it is all stuff that I'm kind of thinking about. Now, tell us what you think. I mean, I know you are you are consuming this this podcast via the internet. Yes. You could probably are learning about it on social media, but just are you circumspect about this force in our lives? Right. And how did you feel when it went down the other day? And who panicked and who didn't? Exactly. Yes. Did you feel free? Let us know. Yeah. yeah. Did you step out and smell the roses or did you just go to Twitter to complain about Facebook <laughs> and Instagram? Being down? We're going to do a short segment at the end here, just real short. And I'm going to let you lead this because I don't have a lot to say on this topic and I mm-hmm. think you're more educated about it than I am. Point and shoot cameras. Yes. This is partly inspired by the fact that I think Matt Murray, who again, whom I love, he is a big aficionado of point and shoots. At Beers and Cameras the other night, I saw a Konica Tomato for the first time, Konica tomato point Never, and shoot. ever have I seen a Konica tomato. Konica tomato was the coolest yep. thing ever. It was a highlight. And colorful and, and beautiful. Yep. I have really, if you're using sort of the strict definition of a point and shoot, which is an autofocus all-in-one camera with flash. Right. I only own one, and here it is, guys. The Canon SureShot Multi-Tele. And honestly, I have this camera for two reasons. One... <laughs> Anal Mystery told me to buy it, and two, it is secretly a half-frame camera. It's got a little dinky switch in the back that enables you to switch between half-frame and full-frame. I don't know of any other modern camera that will do that. Is that just the multi-tele? Is it called just, that's all it is, the multi-tele? It's called the Canon SureShot multi-tele. And there's no half anything hint anywhere? No, no, it doesn't say anything about it. Isn't that funny? Oh my They don't advertise this weird feature, but... It's known as the Auto Boy 6 in other parts of the world. It's, uh, I think, Prima Telly in Britain. I'm kind of amazed that I remembered all that, by the way. But it is really cute, and here's what it sounds like. Ready? 
I mean, oh, that's, that's a nice beautiful. sound. That's a great sound. I took this okay, out. So My friend Jeff was having a pig roast, and I took this because it has a built-in flash, and I didn't want to futz with a flash. And it was I fun. was so excited for a second, and then I went and ran and got my almost oh. multi-telly. What is that? <laughs> it's not sure a... shot Telemax. Ooh. <laughs> There's no right. half-frame anything. I feel like you have much more experience with point-and-shoots than I. What are your favorites? Okay, so I love the Yashica T4 when it works and it doesn't pop film out of my camera. <laughs> Um, I think what do you I, love about it? I know that's a cult camera. Okay, okay. Tell me no, what you love about I, it. First of all, you have to remember. So I got these cameras very cheap. I think sure. I paid 150 for the one. Uh, two. I have two T4s. 150. I paid 200 dollars for the other one. I just love. They give this bright. It's so good with with expired film. It gives these crazy colors, and I just love it. They're like alive and creative and artsy. So I love that. That I love. The Contax T2, hmm. not my thing. <gasps> I don't understand. I've lent it to Trev Lee, who's going to do a report on it. I don't get along with it. I don't know mm, why. How so? I don't know. I don't know. My mm. pictures are never great. And I just, I miss focus and it's very upsetting and angering. But other than that, I love it. <laughs> um, okay. So that, you'll see a report on that soon. The other one is, do you can count the Konica Hex RAF? What do you think? Yeah, what's, I what's think your you feeling? Can count that? Yeah, I love that yeah. camera. Sharp. I love that camera. That's that's so far my favorite point and shoot right now. That is my is favorite. That, does that have the option of manual focus via a rangefinder or how how does that work? I don't know much about that camera. It's all automatic. It's all AF. Oh, okay. It's beautiful. Love it. Interchangeable lenses? No. No. Huh. Nope. I got to see that baby. I love it. I mean, I okay. really 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 love it. I'm trying to think of another one that I love. I love the Olympus cameras. Here's the issue. This is only with me. I've had three Olympus cameras. All three went down. You're talking about like a stylus. Stylus. All those stylus cameras. I love the images. I used to use them all the time when they first came out. And uh, more recently, I don't know what it is, whether it's just opening and closing and opening and closing so many times, but mine have gone down. So, Hmm. And they used to be cheap, so who cares? But now they're not. Yeah. Now they're expensive. Yeah. And then the other, um, you know, T3s and, and things like that. And, you know, I love the old, like, GR. I, I One of my dreams is to get that GR21, which oh, is yeah. that 21 millimeter point and shoot, which is, I don't know, $1,200. I can't imagine yeah. how much it is. But, you know, that that's one of them. But, you know, I think you can get some cool images out of a lot of them because their goal was to make something easy for the consumer where you sometimes would get a sharp shot. And there's some really, like some of the toy ones, you don't get sharp shots, but there are some cameras out there. There's a lot of information on the internet where you can learn about, you know, what the sharpest lenses are and things like that. But I've been very happy with the um, T4. I I think it's great. And I'm learning, I need to learn your skills on the XA4. Yeah, the XA4, I guess, is not strictly speaking a point and shoot because you got to set focus, but I treat it like one. Right. Particularly when there's a flash attached because you could just set it on five feet and fire. Right. And you know, this is the thing. Obviously, if we're talking about autofocus cameras with built in flash, chances are, I mean, with the exception of the high end things like the 35Ti or the Konica Hexar that you mentioned, these are going to be cheap plastic bodied cameras that are primarily electronic, which will probably fail. On the other hand, you have the late point and shoots, 
Right. For example, the Olympus, uh, the what is it, XA2, mm-hmm. which is effectively a point and shoot. There's also the Olympus, I mean, if you're going to count this, the Olympus Pen EE3, my beloved half frame camera, right. is effectively a point and shoot. That's how I use it. That I think I've mentioned that's my primary set photography camera. I load it with Ilford XP2 Super and shoot, 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 because yep. at 400 speed, it's going to be fast enough. So I guess technically that's a point and shoot. But these sorts of cameras and I, I've mentioned, I'm not going to do it again because I've already just laid waste to the Nikon 35Ti. I wish there were a camera like this that was sort of a slightly more high-end device that I had more faith in. But this plastic garbage is my favorite thing right now, the sure shot. Right. I guess the LCA is sort of a the Lomo LCA, that's sort mm-hmm. of a point and shoot. And you can get good de- look, you can get some good deals on these and you can find them and it's they're worth experimenting with, but you know, the Context T2 is Absolutely. you know, it's a, it's approaching $1000 and the the Konica Hexar is, you know, anywhere from 600 to you know, 850. Yeah. And they're just all getting higher and higher and higher and higher and I just don't know you know, that becomes less attractive to people. And I understand why. It's like, then just get a little SLR. If you're going to spend that much money, you can get a whole kit. Yeah. I'm, I am afraid of things that fail because of electronics too. So that's yeah. why I don't want to overinvest. But let's right. hear from you guys. This is something that has been undercovered on this right. podcast. Right. And so we've already heard about, for example, the Nikon L35AF, which I'm actually kind of, kind of, sort of like scouting for. But let's hear from some of your other favorite point and shoots. Okay. And sharp lenses. What lenses do you like? Let's yeah, what, what, what are, are the, the good what are lenses point? on yeah. these cameras? Let us know. All right. What an hour. That was oh my fun. golly. Yep. What an hour. How exciting. As we move into our next 20 years of podcasting. Yes. Yes. Once again, thank you to everyone who has followed us on this journey. And when we get into our 20s, we are going to be very knowledgeable about the film industry and <laughs> uh, sure. how cameras work. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who else do we have to thank at the end of every episode, <sighs> Mr. Sachs? We have to thank Keith Greenstein and, of course, Fred Corey, because their contributions make our show amazing. Keith with his designs and Fred with his music. We, we love it. And the fact that they're both film photographers now is amazing. amazing. Keith and his son are at Disneyland. Keith is toting his OM-1 loaded with black and white film because he's a badass. I love it. I love it. Shooting black and white at Disneyland. That is when you know you are a hardcore film Oh, so cool. So great. Yeah. Look at Keith's Instagram, by the way. Copywriter on Instagram. Fred Corey is on Instagram as well under his name. Check it out and see some of their photography. Yep. It's very, very fun. All right. Gosh. I'm, I'm just I'm just gathering energy for the next 20. So exciting. <laughs> so exciting. All right. As you know, you can find us. We mentioned our email address, idreamofcameras at gmail.com for any feedback. Also, follow Gabe Sachs on the Instagram, Gabe Sachs. I am S. Jeff Greenstein on the Instagram. And of course, follow our makers, the Sunny 16 podcast, anywhere they are. We love them. Take us out of here, Mr. Sachs. I will say that if anyone's interested in any cameras, let me know. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm not saying I'll actually actually make the transaction because it's such a painful thing for me, but I'm interested in seeing how that will go. 
Oh, and don't be afraid to offer trades. Yes, I love trades. Right? Yeah. You'd be psyched if somebody offered you trade something cool. Totally psyched. I would absolutely love it. Yep. Hit him up. And I I know, wait, one more thing. I know we've been threatening this forever, but the next show, we are going to be announcing our camera giveaway contest, which will include a giveaway of a 35 millimeter camera. Yes. A bag which is unopened and brand new. Yes. And a gift card from the dark room. What? Yep. What other podcast brings you this? And also, it's not going to be Let's Draw a Name, is it, Jeff? No. No, it's not. It's going to be a little more complicated, which we'll get into next episode. It wouldn't be us if it weren't. (laughs) Give us the old sayonara there, Zax. We love you all. Thank you so much. And please get in touch with us and go shoot a bunch of pictures, please. We need more film photography happening. Absolutely. Absolutely.